Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Weekends with Waz. I'm Big Waz, <laughs> aka Waz D. Lambre, and I'm joined by a very special guest this afternoon. Um, this guy has been covering the Sixers forever, it seems like to me. He's the person I go to when I want to be as informed as possible on the Sixers. And so, you know, since we're burying them today, um, I could think of no <laughs> better pallbearer then my brother, Derek Bodner of The Athletic. What's up, D? Not much. And you know what? It does seem like I have been covering them forever as well. Uh, I feel that uh, in my myself as well. And that means I've seen a lot with this oh, team. Oh, my goodness. This team gives you something every year to talk about. Every year. Yeah, I, I, I can't stop thinking about this team, right? Just so much of the Sixers is theoretical, Right. Sure. Like like it's like they're presenting these ideas about, well, does it matter if superstars fit or does it matter um, that you build a culture around young guys and tell them and shine their asses and tell them that they're special and then expect them to do difficult things when the time arises? Like, does it matter? Like you're always asking these questions about the Sixers and. You know, I hate using this podcast trope, but we do have a lot to unpack here. But the first thing that I want to get to is the sort of exit interviews that the main players gave after the loss, where everybody said some, like, interesting shit. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Look, almost everyone to a T came down and said, like, we weren't mentally tough enough. We weren't strong enough. Like, we got outworked. And you just don't hear... You know, 
Tobias Harris talk openly and honestly about needing to work on their mental toughness in the offseason. I don't really know what that means mm. when you're a 28 or 30 year old professional athlete. Like how much can that really be improved upon? But once you sort of opened up that door and everyone was asked about it, you know, George Niang the day after during exit interviews, like, look, I don't want to say we quit, but, and then wow. he pretty much went on to describe the textbook definition of quitting in games five and six. And it's like, how did this, like, it's one thing for you lose because Miami's a tough team and Joel Embiid's not a hundred percent and you don't have much depth and you can yada, 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 a whole bunch of reasons. There's a reason I picked, you know, Miami in six coming into the series, but to lose because you didn't really try hard and everyone's kind of admitting that you didn't give your best effort. It's just, it's maddening. It's frustrating. I don't know how you're supposed to look at that. If you're a Sixers fan and have confidence in this group of personnel going forward, because you just don't see professional athletes admit to it as openly and as honestly as they did here in the past week. Yeah. And I do want to parse some of the words because I think Tobias Harris is the most, it's the most outside of the norm from what you generally hear from these guys, but it's the most direct as well. It's just like, you know, we just got out toughed. We weren't mentally as focused as we could have and should have been. And that's why we kind of got our asses handed to us by a team that was clearly superior in that category. I thought it was strange when Joel basically said James Harden's washed. <laughs> like in not so many words, that's what sure. he said. He was like He said he's not Houston James Harden anymore. Yep. Yeah, he yep. said, look, he's not that guy. And I want to ask you because you've been around it up close and personal, and because you've known Joel for so long sure. at this point. What's going on there with the Harden thing? I mean, if we're talking like the relationship between the two. Yes. I don't think Joe came at that from a perspective of malice. I think Joe just has this thing where, especially at the end of the year, he's, you know, two or three times more honest and open than he should be to the media. And certainly we can go back to what he said after game seven and the Ben Simmons situation and that sort of blowing up. But he's asked a question. And as a journalist, I love this. And quite frankly, as a fan, it's great to be able to hear what your players actually think. The problem is that does come with a little bit of consequence to it. But he is asked a question and he responds. And he knows, you know, he, he'll joke about all the time. Oh, well, they could trade me. He knows he's not getting traded. He knows that there's nothing um, he's going to, if there ever is a rift, he's not the one going anywhere. But I think he just looks at it and he said, all right, look, this isn't the guy he was three years ago. I do think he still appreciates his passing and his playmaking and the way they can run pick and roll and get him easy shots that he never could. But I think he also is a smart enough basketball player where he understands like, look, we can't give this guy the ball and ask him to create, you know, with a 40% usage rate efficiently, like he could a couple of years ago. That's not the guy that he is right now. Um, and you're right for him to come out and say, you know, we all watch that series and we could see he's like, James Harden isn't taking PJ Tucker off the dribble. He's just not capable hmm. of doing that right now. It's one thing to see that for us all to see it. It's not this thing for Joel Embiid to come out and be like, Hey, he's not what he used to be. Um, and I don't think it came from a position of malice. I don't think there's a, a real rift between those two. I think Joel understands that James Harden buying in and being the best version of whatever that means right now is his best chance to win. But Joel just also doesn't care to deny the obvious. He's a, he's a pretty unique superstar at this point. So I do want to get into the Joel of it all because I'm not going to lie, like I've always been a pretty big fan of Joel's game and his personality and what he's meant to the league. Um, just, you know, I just always thought he was a breath of fresh air for the type of guy 
that he's presented himself to be. But I got to say, man, basically since the Hawks series of last year and everything that came out of it, I'm kind of starting to turn a corner on Joel. And I got to credit my man Ben Golliver for being a bit of a Joel truther. Look, this is the fifth playoff in a row where the Sixers essentially just flame out. Although, I wouldn't say the Jimmy year was a flame out. Like, they sure. basically played that fucking team even, yep. and they won the championship, right? Uh, but, like, another disappointing season, another press conference where Joel Embiid is blaming everybody but himself. Um, and I just feel like most players of his caliber and of his age would be getting absolutely savaged right now. Like... You know, Giannis won two MVPs and we killed him for it. <laughs> and then he goes out and he wins a championship, right? I feel like the excuses, like there's no Ben anymore. There's no Brett Brown. There's no, oh, but we're getting better and we're building towards something. I feel like Joel is a bit out of excuses. And I wonder, like, where the franchise is at with him. Because, you know, we know Sixers fans, are <laughs> they like to leave with tough love. Sure. But... His organization, where are they at with Joel right now? No, I think the organization is, is fine with him. Um, I don't think there's anything, mm. you know, if there's any concern with the relationship, and this isn't me reporting anything, it's just sort of the nature of mm. how superstars Aggregators, yeah, you yeah, heard them. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> windhurst me here. Um, this isn't me reporting anything, but like the one you're always worried about is, is Joel just at the point where he wants to go somewhere where he can win? Because that's just the history of what our league suggests superstars mm. always have in their power. I don't think there's any mm. real concern about the organization being at wit's end with Joel or his quote unquote, you know, post-game press conferences or, you know, his injury history. And this is one injury, uh, two, well, two injuries this year that I really don't fault him for. Like, it's not like these were repetitive use injuries that were chronic mm -hmm. and built up over the season. Like he got an elbow in the eye and it blew up. Um, you know, he got a finger caught in a jersey and it, it tore. Like these were pretty freak injuries. He was in better shape and playing at a higher level and, um, you know, with few nicks and, and bruises as you could expect for somebody to play night in and night out like he did in the regular season. I do give him credit for improving his conditioning and his body over the last couple of years. Uh, I think he's been a more regular player. The playoff flameouts are like, I think this is one where it's just freak injuries just completely changed his style of play and his game and his effectiveness. But I think part of the reason why people give him a quote unquote pass. And I'm not sure I agree a hundred percent. Like, I think there are still, there are some media members in Philly who are, uh, you know, he'll never be healthy. He'll never lead the team. I think that narrative is out there, even if it might not be all that strong nationally, but I think nationally, a lot of people look at it and say, well, I mean, shoot, he's had five GMs in seven years. If you count Brett Brown as a GM, if you count, you know, the two years of Elton brand and like, there's been a lot of turmoil. He's had, you know, his co-star, the one that they chose to keep over Jimmy Butler, which I don't think he necessarily, like, I think he was, I'm not going to say he didn't want to play with Ben Simmons, but he certainly wanted to play with Jimmy Butler. Well, the co-star they chose around him completely flamed out in, in pretty epic fashion. I think there's a lot of understanding that this team has had so much instability. I would love to see, and this is, if I have one hope with the Sixers over the next couple of years, it's to have a little bit of stability around Joel so we can really properly evaluate can he have a late career surge like Dirk Nowitzki, like mm. one of those players who we said, well, I don't know if they can ever, you know, we have to hold them accountable. I don't know if they can ever win a championship, yada, yada, yada. I'd like to see whether or not he's capable because the growth I have seen both as a 
uh, you know, being in better shape and also the growth in his game over the last couple of years that has made him a, a MVP runner up two years running hasn't yet translated to the postseason success. I don't think that's all on him, but I do think that I would just like to see a little stability so we can really properly gauge that. I do think there's been a lot of turmoil around him for sure. All I would say about Joel is that it feels like in the playoffs, he's rarely ever played to his top level of capability. The the only real year was against the Celtics when I got swept because they had uh, Ben Simmons was out. That was the right. only year where you would say like his postseason numbers match his regular season numbers for sure. And I look around the league. I'm looking at Giannis. I'm looking at Luca. I'm looking at people who are basically of his cohort, and they deliver for their team in the playoffs in basically the same way that they do when they're at their best in the regular season. And yo, this year, this dude got hit in the face with a fucking ball. And he was literally crying on the court. Like, that shit was terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't hold that against him. Like, dude's face was was broken. Like, I, you know, I, I understand why his game was slightly diminished by that. Like, I get it. But at a certain point, these receipts got to come due. You know what I'm saying, DB? Yeah. And I mean, look, I, I look at Joe Embiid's career in, in sort of two phases. There was the first two years you know, where he had that tough second round series against Boston. He wasn't good enough. There was a second year where they had the tough second round series against Toronto. He was incredible defensively, did struggle uh, throughout that series offensively. I really did see him look at that and say, look, I've got to become a more all around scorer, a better face-up player, um, a better creator, a better passer. And I think he's accomplished that. And we've seen that in a regular season. And look, he wasn't good enough last year in the late stages of that series against the Hawks either. He had a, a game where he had seven or eight turnovers and that was key. This year, it's just really tough for me to pile on yeah. too much because that, I mean, that he was playing with a mask coming off of a concussion with a broken face and a thumb that couldn't grip the ball. I'm not ready to certainly give up on him, but I, you know, I do agree that eventually this has to turn into more postseason success. This is just one year where I think it's, it's tough to really hold that too much against him. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. 
Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. All right, so, you know, there are people who I could hold shit against on this team, and um, <laughs> we can start with James Harden. And, you know, again, weird statements afterwards where he says, I ran the offense and didn't get the ball back. Yeah. Bro, you bring the ball up. <laughs> right. What the fuck are you talking about? Yep. You're the de facto point guard of this team. Um, you basically have free reign to do whatever it is you like to do, and you just didn't. We'll leave his poor performance to the side for now. They have some pretty big decisions to make on this guy in the offseason, and people straight up asked him at the press conference, what's the deal with his contract? Does he want to be a Philadelphia 76er, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, we know he can opt in if he wants to for 40-something yeah. million bucks. Yeah. Uh, you and I both know he ain't no $40 million player anymore. It feels like they can't do anything but bring him back and basically extend him, I guess, to... Like whatever the number ends up being, I think I think he's resigned to the fact that he's like I don't I'm not a max max guy, right. which is basically what he was implying in the press conference. What do you think they do with Harden? Yeah, you're right. If there's one good thing to come out of the last couple months, is that that max contract has to be off the table. There is no way. There is no way. Uh, and he has a forty-seven million dollar <laughs> option for next year. You know, he didn't say whether or not he would opt into that. He said he would be back. He left open the possibility of taking less money. His his way of phrasing that was doing what's best for the team. Uh, I think that's a, a acknowledgement that he wasn't going to get that max contract. Anyway, you know, I think there's part of me that says, look, just let him opt in, let him play, so you can then make that decision on that next contract after watching him uh, next season after he's another year removed from the hamstring injury and see whether or not he can gain just a little bit of that burst back. Because you're right, that player that we saw play over the last couple of months is not a, a 40 some odd million dollar player. Then there's a part of me that says, all right, look, you're looking at this team. You've got Embiid and Tobias locked up for the next two years. You've got two more years of cheap Tyrese Maxey um, under team control. And then you have him coming on off of a, uh, you know, off of his rookie scale where he had to have a cap hold. That's going to be less than what his next contract is going to start at. Maybe you give Harden basically mm -hmm. a two year deal this year, line it up for Tobias coming off of, of his contract so you can get two years of, cause I think they're probably going to try to look to trade Tobias. It's just, it, that's a tough contract to move, even though it's only got two years left, but line it up. So maybe in two years, you could potentially be a player in free agency. If this era of Sixers basketball doesn't work out, but this contract, even if we're talking like two years, three years, 30 million per is going to be terrifying because quite frankly, he's just, He's not a game that's going to age well. He's never taken care of his body the way he needs to. You're starting to see it break down. And when it's one thing for James Harden to have all of the bad habits, you know, the lack of off ball movement, the lack of attention to detail defensively, especially when he's off ball, the 15 between the leg dribbles to run out the shot clock and take a step back three. It's one thing to put up with all of that when he's, Excellent. you know, a 40% usage guy with a 65% true shooting and an offense completely unto himself. But when he can't get by Isaiah Stewart off the dribble, well, all of a sudden those details become a little more important and you just don't have a whole lot of confidence that he is going to age very well. And six are in a tough spot because I do think even the diminished version of James Harden, they currently have, 
makes them a better team, mm-hmm. even though if it didn't really look like it in the last two games. And they need that because there's no other real way for them to replace that. And Joel Embiid needs that skill set to reach his best version. But boy, this contract is going to be scary, even with the acknowledgement that he's not getting nearly what I think a lot of people expected when the trade was made. See, I love that you got into the nuts and bolts of it and talked about it in a sober fashion. However, our listeners need to understand that this is the NBA and things don't happen because they make sense. Um, This is a people business. There's relationships involved. And I find it very hard to believe that Daryl Morey didn't communicate to James Harden that when we trade for you beforehand, that we're going to give you a bag. You can't, though. Like, you can't. If that's, if that's the case and you say, look, James, opt in, get your $47 million, <laughs> prove to me that you're worth it, and then we can talk about that bag in 12 months. There's no way you can give him that contract. Because the way the NBA works, and I know this is going to shock people at home, I'll give you an example. The Clippers and Paul George, when they did that massive deal after bringing Kawhi Leonard in, there was no question whether or not they were going to extend Paul George. That shit was happening. They They gave all that stuff away to acquire him. They knew. Everybody understood there would be a contract waiting for Paul George. Um, a season and a half after they traded for him. That's just how a lot of this stuff yep. works. Period. The Uncle Dennis negotiations. Period. 100%. Period, period, period. The, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to, you know, your contract is up. Now let's get in the room and iron out the details. No, this stuff was pre-approved before and everybody delivered on what was promised. I just find it hard to believe the dude that showed up to the Dork Gala in Massachusetts with a James Harden is Jesus yeah. shirt on is not going to pay his man. The guy who made him, basically. You know, like, Daryl Morey got made by James Harden, period. You know, moving heaven and earth to get him to Houston and delivering all those wins and success in Houston as much as they did. I got to see it to believe it, that they're not going to overpay this dude crazily because of that relationship. Yeah, I mean, look, Kawhi Leonard was 28 in that off season that you're referencing. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, a very different, and you're right. There certainly had to have been some kind of conversations about keeping James beyond this season. You can't, you, you, you can't, you, you just, even if you had those conversations, like you, you can't give him that contract. You just can't. It would, there's so much. And look, you're already looking at it. This is a team that has so little depth that you were starting Matisse Thibel at mm. various points throughout the season. Remember Matisse Thibel? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Danny Green went down in game six, and you lost like 20% of your viable playoff players. You need a lot of depth on this team. You have Tobias Harris and his contract that's already going to be tough to move off of. You've got, you know, probably don't want to be hard-capped at the apron, so you're probably looking at the lower mid-level exception. You're probably not looking at the biannual exception. You just don't have very many avenues to acquire talent to round out the rest of this roster. And by the way, you don't know that the number two guy, the guy who's supposed to be initiating your offense, is capable of really initiating your offense in that way. So you just you need more flexibility under all kinds of, of circumstances. Uh, and you need that not to be the worst contract in the league pretty much from the moment that he signs it. Uh, he, he can't give him that kind. He just he can't do it. And I don't, I don't think there's a real threat of James walking because he's not getting $47.5 million. Where the hell is he? 
I mean, give me a break. Yeah. Who's signing up for that? And again, a lot of it is like he forced his way over there for these creature comforts, right? Like, basically, your man is in charge. Uh, they brought in other Houston people over there. You know, it's one thing to go to Brooklyn and you think you're going to win and whatever. It's another thing. And you, you put up with Kyrie and KD running the team and you're just sort of a passenger. And that doesn't happen. You're like, why don't I go to a culture that I'm used to? And be treated and 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 basically pampered in the way that I've become accustomed to, and yeah. let the rest figure itself out. And you know the Daryl Morey part of this situation, I I find to be very interesting too because at, at the time that the deal went down, I remember being like everybody's hubris was rewarded. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like James Harden forcing his way to Brooklyn and then being like, ah, oh, I'm done. He gets yep. to go. To 76ers, a great opportunity with a really talented roster, all of that. Ben Simmons does his ridiculous act and, you know, basically pouts his way out of town. And he gets to go to a contender in Brooklyn with two ball-dominant guys so that he actually doesn't have to do shit. He has no responsibilities on the ball in the way that he did with the Sixers. And Daryl Morey gets to look like a genius. He did this ridiculous tough guy routine with Ben Simmons. And he gets an MVP candidate out of it. Everybody looked like they were coming up aces. And that's just not the case <laughs> anymore. We've seen that like kind of everybody has looked kind of stupid for having done all of this so far. And I wonder what Maury's going to do this offseason because he's got a coach that I have it on personal authority. There are guys on that team who don't fuck with him, who don't like Doc Rivers. They don't like playing for him. They don't like his approach. They don't like his style. They don't think he's a great X's and O's guy. He's, he's not a great uh, strategy dude. Like, there are players on that team who don't fuck with him. Mike D'Antoni is <laughs> looming. Yeah. Yeah. What's Daryl going to do this offseason, Derek? And they put out that ridiculous statement yesterday, by the way. <laughs> oh, we love our coach. We can't wait to work with him going forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is basically like the death knell. <laughs> Well, in terms of Doc, you know, I think the big looming question is LA and whether or not he wants to pursue hmm. that job. Um, you know, obviously, I think the Sixers, I don't expect for a woge bomb tomorrow that Doc is fired. Do I think there's a chance that Doc would be like, look, I want this LA position. Let me out of my contract. There's way and better golf in LA, Derek. There's way better golfing in LA. That's a big priority. Uh, I don't know about the roster, but there's a lot of really good golfing and weather. And I, uh, I think Doc did sell his LA house, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I'm sure he uh, can figure out a way to buy. Another I'm sure one. he can figure it out. <laughs> he still owed quite a bit of money here with the Sixers. Um, I could see if that's the only real way that I think Doc isn't going to be brought back is if he does say I want that LA job. I don't know if he's going to. I think that roster is a bit of a mess. That's interesting. So you think if Doc doesn't get another job, he's back with the Sixers next season? I do, and I don't know if that's a hundred percent like Daryl vote of confidence or Josh Harris being like, "Yo, we owe this guy three years, twenty-four million dollars. He's our coach next year." Mm. Uh, I could see it going either way, but I would guess that the, he, Doc would get one more season with this roster. If he doesn't want to go somewhere else. Yeah. So we think Doc's coming back. I, that's interesting. Interesting. And you guys hear that for heard that here first. If Doc doesn't go to LA, Derek Bonder thinks he's staying in Philly. I do. Roster wise, and again, <laughs> Doc, I think I've done a great job. He does. He does. Um He will tell you that. Nobody expected shit out of this team before I got here. 
Um, Which is hysterical this because is he was brought insane. in like a hundred percent because they couldn't get past the second round. That was the entire reason they made a change at coach. Yeah. Which is just yeah. an insane, an insane statement. And by the way, Derek, it's not my fault because the team needs a roster upgrade. Derek, yeah. uh, we got to get better guys in here. Obviously, the Toby Harris thing has been looming for years. Um, he's got the best contract in sports in the sense that he's paid like a superstar, yet nobody gives a shit what he ever does on the floor. Yep. Yep. Um, nobody, he's never held accountable to it, nothing. We, we bring up Jimmy Butler only when like Jimmy Butler like comes up, but it's like, yeah, bro, like they paid you like you were Jimmy Butler and let Jimmy Butler walk. And... To be fair, like, we don't talk about this enough. They brought in Big Al that summer, too. And so, like, the Big Al thing was part of it as well. Um, and that didn't work out. But whatever, we we kind of just blame Toby for it completely, him and Ben Simmons. What are they going to do to get better stuff in here? This puts me in an awkward spot because I kind of have to, I kind of have to agree with Doc's assessment. Like, they weren't good enough, especially with Joel Embiid hobbled the way he was. Which I don't like hearing the coach say because it sounds like him basically saying like, oh, yeah, I couldn't have done anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, when you look at Miami's roster, like five through nine, they were a hundred times better than what the Sixers had to work with. Like you're putting out there Matisse Thibel who can't dribble and shoot, which is, you know, minor details in the game of basketball. Four guard. You're putting out George and Yang who can't move or rebound. Again, minor details that proved to be helpful uh, in the game that we cover. You're talking about Shake Milton and Furkan Korkmaz and Paul Reed, who Paul Reed was maybe their most consistent backup player, and he's Paul Reed. Like, he's a second-year player who Doc doesn't trust even a little bit. So they have a lot of work to do with their bench and their depth. Um, you know, I do think that the core four of Embiid, Harden, Maxi, and Harris, if you're forced to sort of come back with that, is a pretty strong mm -hmm. top four, assuming Harden doesn't completely fall off a cliff and Embiid's face heels i think that's a, a decent enough starting point but they have so much work to do with the other four or five playoff rotation spots and not a whole lot to work with like i said they have probably that lower mid-level exception and not a whole lot else um so they have they're up against it you know they're gonna have to make a good minimum or two signings they're going to have to you know over the last couple of years they haven't really done a whole lot with their mid-level last year i think they used a portion of it on George Yang, who I don't think can really play in the playoffs. I think he gets run off the floor pretty easily. Hmm. I think they almost have to try to turn Tobias Harris, not even so much for cap relief, just to turn him into two or three lesser contracts so that then you have a little more flexibility in adding pieces around them and completing trades and, and, and just getting building more depth. Um, I think they're in a, a pretty tough spot right now. And some of this is going to come down to, you know, if they could create a little bit of room between themselves and the apron by maybe renegotiating James Harden's contract and getting that into where it's a lower cap number than it currently is. Um, because I do think it would be helpful if they could use that full mid-level exception, but they've been hesitant to do that because they've been so close to the hard cap. If they do use that, um, they have, Daryl Morey's got a lot of, and, and look, they've got probably going to, I think they're probably going to end up having their draft pick. So they currently have Brooklyn has a right to their draft pick this year, or they could defer it to their pick next year. So I think they're I think Brooklyn's probably going to defer it. So I wonder if maybe you could see the Sixers select someone on draft night for another team and then make that trade and try to trade that draft pick for some depth because that's one of the few chips that they have. But yeah, they need a, a lot of a lot of help and a lot of help. It would be great to have one player off the bench. I guess maybe Shake Milton <laughs> is a little bit, but one player off the bench 
who isn't a complete liability on one end of the court because they just have none. It's quite frankly astonishing. Well, Derek, man, thank you for coming up here. Never, ever, ever, ever a dull moment on this damn beat. I mean, look, there's been no burner account controversies. <laughs> oh there's no, no, like, they haven't. Find another slant, Bodner. Yeah. Find a different slant. <laughs> His collars are normal. <laughs> it's never, never dull with this beat. Ringer.com broke never. that, by the way. They did. They did. <laughs> oh, man. Um, anyway, tell the people where they can find your incredible work, man. Um, I really think you're doing the best job on the Sixers beat. There's so much pom-pom waving on certain corners <laughs> of Sixers Twitter. Like, you are really fair consistent and thorough in everything that you do so i appreciate your work on the Sixers beat a team that i continue to be fascinated by tell the people where they can find your stuff well uh easiest way is just go to twitter at derek bodner nba uh, you can get all the links too from there i appreciate all those completely undeserved kind words uh, i will repay you either literally or figuratively some way in the future because like i said none of those were deserved but i appreciate that very much my man so humble so modest i love it uh we'll see you guys next week of course make sure you're checking out all the other offerings on the ringer nba podcast network real ones uh group chat with myself justin varrier and rob mahoney the answer with sirit sohi and uh chris ryan you know how to find our stuff we'll see you guys next week we're out of here <laughs>